Yeah. Eric, when you did the first day of Menya Hosaki, yes. how many people did you serve? So, yeah, about 120 bowls. Okay. So, I don't know. Yeah. Then, the first pop-up you did, how many people did you serve? 60. 60. Yeah. So, the first pop-up I ever did was at Ramen Lab, and it was like maybe 90, 80, 90. Mm-hmm. And I got my ass kicked. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric, did you get your ass kicked? On day I, I couldn't. I couldn't walk the next day. Like, <laughs> I'm not joking. Like, literally, I couldn't get up. Yeah. <laughs> so I think Eric, your point is also super valid, right? And I completely glossed over it, but it's true. The other thing is, do not overextend yourself. Like, mm-hmm. way better to do a small pop up and nail it than to do a giant right. one and like flounder and right, right. i won't call out any individuals but i've definitely seen people who are like 250 bulls let's go and it's like there's no way you're gonna really yeah. screw this up and yeah. then inevitably they do and it's like well you know you you haven't figured it out yet like you gotta practice Hey everybody, welcome back to the Way Ramen Podcast. Today we have a really special show. I sit down with three people who I consider to be some of the top ramen chefs in America for a roundtable discussion about all things related to running a successful ramen pop-up. On the panel, we have the one and only ramen lord, Mike Satinover, who does pop-ups in Chicago under the Akahoshi Ramen name, as well as two ramen chefs who trained with Keizo Shimomoto at Ramen Shack, Eric Yu, who runs Menya Hosaki in the DC area, as well as Vin Tai, who operates the Ramen 512 pop-up in Austin, Texas. If you are someone who is interested in one day doing a pop-up of your own in your own town, this episode is for you. These guys share everything that they've learned to try to help you prevent their mistakes and have your first pop-up experience go as smoothly as possible. So without further ado, here is the first ever Way of Ramen roundtable discussion with Mike, Eric, and Vin. I guess we can start off by you guys introducing yourself one at a time. Who's on this ramen pop-up round table we got going here you can start with mike i guess nobody knows who to go first yeah sure we can start with me i've actually <laughs> been on the podcast before my yeah. name is mike Satinover. uh i also go by the name ramen lord on the internet which is bizarre and funny and odd but uh and i do a pop-up in chicago called akahoshi ramen nice. <laughs> that's great for right. dinner yeah go ahead vin all right. Um, my name is Vin. Um, I'm based in Austin, Texas. Um, I started making ramen about three, four years ago. Uh, pretty much started with like online recipe from Mike, mostly, and some Japanese ramen books. And then um, I had the opportunity to work for Keizo Shimamoto at Ramen Shack. And then I came back to Austin and I've been doing like these ramen pop-ups called ramen 512. Uh, five, 512 is the area, the area code for Austin. So if in case you guys don't know what that means. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much about me, just a normal guy and love ramen and making ramen for people. Cool, cool. All right, Eric? Hey, uh, my name is Eric. Uh, I started kind of playing around with ramen like five, six years ago. You know, just like a lot of people, I started with, you know, the ramen lord uh recipe and just you know i was just a home chef and then i got really serious into it and um <clears throat> you know couldn't find any of the shops in maryland dmv area that you know i could kind of call it a real ramen so i you know started going up to new york 
and that's the closest thing I had. I'm, you know, blessed to be not too far from New York. And, you know, that's, that's where I found ramen shack. Um, and, you know, kind of like Vin, I, you know, asked Keizo to work there and, you know, I was lucky enough to have experience and, you know, learn from Keizo. Um, he says, hi, by the way, I texted him. I'm doing a public with you guys. Um, We're going to get him. I'm sure we can get, we have to get him on this thing. He said, he'll, he said he's going to come on the podcast eventually. <laughs> he's just pretty busy right now. So, um, so stubborn. Yeah. So I think after working there, like, you know, I really had a passion to kind of open up my shop here. Um, and I signed the lease uh, and I have a long way to go. Well, I had a long way to go with the construction. So I decided to quit my freaking corporate job to uh, do this, you know, pop up at my um, at the deli that where I am right now. And, you know, it's been like six, seven months now. Been a really good journey. Has it really um, been that long? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I started around June. That's yeah. So That's crazy. June or July, I think. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a very fast, you know, pace kind of learning curve, and you know, just a lot of stuff. But yeah, it's it's, it's fun. I love every second second of it. You know, I, w- I won't go back You're to anything. Killing else. it, man. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen a lot of like positive feedbacks about your uh, current pop-up so uh thank you thank you awesome. I'm, trying, I'm trying hard here you know just <laughs> representing representing all the you know good people like you guys yeah so a lot of people that listen to this podcast are very interested in doing pop-ups i get a lot of questions like a lot of questions came in for you guys like tons of questions so could you guys talk about how you got started with doing pop-ups like what led you to do that and how you went about going with your first pop-up i mean i'll start because mine is the most uh the well not the most it's the worst story uh i my first pop-up was at ramen lab with michijo ramen i had never done one before and i had worked occasionally in industry but never like hardcore ramen obviously and it was totally by accident i didn't plan for it i didn't anticipate on wanting to do it at all i just was like oh we can do a pop-up and he invited me that sounds great so we did it and then came back to Chicago and had an article written about me in the Tribune and then people were asking, right? So it's not like I reached out, it just kind of happened. So there's no cool story there. It just was a sporadic thing. That's my story, there you go. And prior to that first pop-up, were you doing like dinner parties or anything? Like how did you transition from that? What was the yeah, transition from but that like, to- Okay, everybody here has made ramen at home and then you make a bunch of it and you gotta uh-huh. give it to somebody. Like you make a batch of soup, it's got like, four liters of soup maybe that you're done with you can't eat all that by yourself you'll get sick of it so you got to give it to people so Mm -hmm. that's not that impressive i think especially for these guys here who are doing pop-ups regularly they know like the the scale is way more impressive now than it was when they were doing it in their dinky little kitchen at home Mm -hmm. but yeah sure i was doing dinner parties because what else would you do with all the food you got to give it to somebody but you were already ramen lord at that time right you were (laughs) Posting on Reddit and yes. know about you for recipes. Sure, <laughs> yes, it's weird to think that I've been ra- I've been ramen lord for a while. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but you can make recipes without making them restaurant specific, or you can make restaurant specific recipes that are very difficult to translate to the home mm-hmm. audience. I'm sure that I know for me at least, there's a difference between what I do at my pop ups and what I can kind of get away with in my home kitchen. Well, we actually got a question about that, so. Well, let's get to that. So Vin, how how did you transition from, you know, being a home cook into getting your first pop-up? Well, uh, for me, it's it's more like a a natural progress. Like I make at home for myself, for my family and friends. 
And then I saw, you know, like Mike and David starting doing pop up at Ramen Lab, and it's really like, like give me the fire to to do the same thing. And the idea of you know like making ramen for a lot of people who are strangers, it's just something that really give me the fire to do. Like I just want to do that because I would be able to make ramen, and for a lot of people that I don't know. So, and you know, like at the same time, like I, I was thinking about okay, uh, will I ever you know open like a ramen shop in the future? So like with someone, you know, just like a a home cook. So if you jump right into like a ramen kitchen, a real ramen kitchen, it's gonna be really tough. So like to make it like a little bit easier, you should do pop ups. So you can get you know like a a real experience of like how to make one hundred bowls of ramen compared to like just like five or ten bowls for friends family. Yes. So it's it's been like a huge learning experience when you do these pop up because like I feel like if you make like a hundred or a hundred fifty bowls for your pop up, it's pretty much the same amount as a typical ramen shop. Mm-hmm. And like, I can talk like we definitely can talk more um, later about like how difficult it is to do this pop up compared to running like a real ramen shop. In my experience, it's more difficult when you do this pop up mm-hmm. when you you know like prep for yes. a day like your typical day at the ramen kitchen. Yes. Yeah, we can talk about that later. <laughs> Eric. Yeah, for me. Um... I think as soon as I decided to decided that I wanted a shop for myself, um, I kind of knew that I needed to practice at least. And I was kind of thinking about doing like a home, what do you even call it? Home pop-ups or um, just like, I don't know, borrowing a space for the weekend just here and there. But then um, I, it was just kind of hard finding that kind of opportunity. It's not easy. So, you know, like I said before, like luckily my parents have the deli, um, in Maryland, in you know, I was like, you know, the kitchen's, you know, it's it's an open kitchen. It looks, you know, pretty doable. I was like, you know, I can make this work, that work, and that's the fun part of pop ups to like going into kitchens and trying to like, kind of vision your layout and you know, trying to make it work, you know. And right now, you know, I'm using like a deep fryer to do noodle boiling and stuff like wow. that. You know, it's it's yeah. I showed Mike a picture before, and I have like a hose going yeah. in like dri- like dripping water, and you know, just a lot of ghetto stuff. But it's like that's the beauty of ramen too. Like you know, just it's it's just you know it's it's aggressive like i don't know i don't know how to describe it it's it's it's, it's fun yeah so i think there is this weird misconception <clears throat> in the united states that you need really specialized unique equipment to do ramen mm-hmm. but you got to remember that like most of these kitchens that are pumping out ramen in japan are these janky little hole in the walls with like the mm-hmm. dirtiest cheapest equipment that they can get because it's right. it, this is not luxury food where they have the capital to build a beautiful kitchen so you need like some pots and you need a thing that will boil noodles in which is maybe a pot and you can do it so like eric saying he's a deep fryer i actually used a deep fryer at my last pop-up too and it was weird but it worked like it works and ultimately that's all you care about it's like does Uh it get the job done Uh yeah yeah so yeah for me uh, yeah, it's it's anything but I imagine. I remember first day, I kind of just did an Instagram friends only kind of thing, like my church people, my Instagram friends, and and I, 
uh, I think I sold about 120 bowls that day, but it was insane. Like, I mean, it was hell. Like I couldn't get my first bowl out on like until like hour after opening. It was just a chaos. Like, and you know, yeah, there's now I look back, I kind of laugh at it. And I'm like, man, I could have done that, this and that. Like if I, you know, if I do it the way I do it now, but it's it's just you learn every day i'm still learning week by you know every week like it's just so much fun but it's it's intense in there you know it's a pop-up is kind of a misleading word like when it comes to how much effort that goes into it i think yeah. um it's pretty insane like yeah i'm, I'm sure you guys will be able to agree with that but i feel like your yeah. your pop-up is more like a real ramen yeah it's like a semi-permanent yeah. pop-up yeah so yeah sometimes i have hard time explaining to people because they're like oh i i thought pop-up was for like a day or two you know but you know there's no real like you know book definition of pop-up i don't think it just kind of depends on you know every situation you know what you have available so yeah i think in general like a pop-up is if you go into a space that wasn't originally for that business and you change it up if it's frequently or once off whatever that to me is a pop-up Right, right, so, right, right. Yeah. Eric, you're doing it at a deli. That's, right, right. <laughs> that deli was not ready for the ramen life. Yeah, yeah. doing it, and it's it looks yeah. awesome. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pop up, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, <laughs> and I just did one in a fried chicken restaurant. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, uh, same here. <laughs> yeah, Vin, where was your last one at? So the past, the last four pop ups I've been doing at this Korean fried chicken. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Like yeah. what? <laughs> maybe there's a connection like, there between like fried, the, uh, chicken places and ramen maybe. pop-ups. There's a yeah. good synergy there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, fried chicken and ramen goes really well together. So, like, you know, that's, my 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 first pop-up ever was actually a collaboration with a fried chicken joint. So, oh yeah, oh, yeah, really? I remember yeah, that. I remember so like, that. I did like churro style, uh-huh. and then yes, like I had a different option, like. They can either choose like the one with chashu or the one with fried chicken mm, or yeah. both. Yeah. Which one was more popular? Can you? Tell I us? think, I think I we saw like the special one, the one with both chashu and fried chicken, mm. most. Yeah. How is the ramen scenes where you guys are? So you know, Eric's in Maryland, Vince in Austin, Mike's. I, Mike talked about it in his interview. But, you know, <laughs> you can talk about it again too, Mike, if you want to talk about. <laughs> I'm good. 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 Uh, I, I can go. Uh, it's there's a lot of shops in you know DC. You know I live right by DC, mm-hmm. and you know my Maryland DMV is pretty packed together. And there's a lot of shops you know up and coming, and that's been open. I, I just want to be careful like how I word it because you know I, I respect business people, but obviously, like if I had to describe it in my own words, like I'm not too happy with it. Uh, but I do see a lot of potential and, you know, people trying hard. So yeah, it's, but it definitely needs more, you know, true chefs and, you know, more passionate, I think shops. But there's a lot of interest as far as like consumers, people wanting to eat ramen. Oh yes. Yes. There's a lot of yeah interest. And even at my shop, uh, um, I, so it's, my shop's at a town where it's basically made 15 minutes away from like Korea town of Maryland. Mm-hmm. And I was just expecting a lot of Asians to come and, you know, try it out. Cause they already know about ramen. And that's a funny thing too. And 
you know, most of my, like, I would say 80% of my customers are, uh, I'm right by military base too, and a lot of soldiers and, you know, a lot of those people and a lot of corporate people come in. So 80% of my customers are like, you know, just American people. And like a lot of them is just their first time. And to see them like killing like my show you or like, you know, <laughs> nice. just these really authentic, like kind of bold, like it, it kind of really makes me happy. And, and it kind of reminds me why I wanted to do this, you know, do this job in the first place too, you know, kind of you know, spread the Brahmin gospel, you know, it's like, it's so yeah it's it's growing and people are learning and yes there you know a lot of people are interested in eating ramen cool yeah. what about you Vin? what's it like in austin well i mean in austin i think the ramen boom happened about i would say maybe five or six years ago so there's like this restaurant that came in and they opened a tonkatsu shop mm-hmm. so like they focus heavily on tonkatsu um, they have, and then I think they, they also have the shoyu and then skemen. So like the three most popular style of ramen in America. And I think like people here in Austin at the time, we didn't have like a real ramen restaurant at the time. So the ramen like thing really like started growing since that time. And I think like people here, they, like people like here love ramen. And, you know, like this particular shop, they're growing, they're growing, they open like two more locations. And then at the same time, you see like some other like different shop open and growing as well. Um, but like here, like there's a lot of opportunities because I don't know if you guys know, but Austin is like growing really, really fast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like we have like more and more people moving to this city. So I would say there are a lot of opportunity out there. If, you know, there's someone want to do like different style, maybe like focus on more like Jintan instead of like Tonkatsu. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like, like people here, like, like from doing this pop-up, I realized like, wow, like they really welcome like new style because I've been doing like different things each pop-up and I have like people come up to me and say, yeah, I'm really excited to see like different style of ramen, something that, you know, like nobody is offering in Austin. So I I would say ramen in Austin has a lot of room to grow. Yeah. It's awesome that the interest is there. I, I had an interview with um, Jimmy and Matsudai Ramen last week and he's in Wales doing stuff. And I just did one with Eric Benz earlier today and he's in Cincinnati and it's interesting to hear the, um, the, the tastes, the local tastes of what people want in each area. Yeah. These guys both know, we all know Eric, except you, Ryan, actually, because yeah. uh, they worked with Eric at Kezo's Rai Rai Ken pop-up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He told me Eric at the Momotaro pop-up. Yeah. So, yeah. He told me all this stuff in the interview. All these yeah. pop-up people are all connected together. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's start to get into questions because we got a lot of questions and uh, I don't want to waste time asking my dumb questions. So feel free to talk over each other and do all the roundtable stuff because you don't have, we don't have to take time, turns here. So that's really casual. So Ramen Addict um, asks, and this is a very common question because Plague Ram also asked the same question. What advice would you give to someone who wants to start a pop-up? And he, um, Plague Ram X also said, I'm interested in doing a pop-up. How would you go about planning the first one? 
Man, such a tough question. Just because the most difficult part is finding a space where they'll let you do it, which I'm sure like, like has been a challenge for everybody here. Finding space is always the challenge. And then you got to actually do the thing and that sucks too. And there's like a lot involved in that. Uh, so Vin mentioned this earlier that like pop-ups are harder than restaurants. And mm. the reason that they are is because if you don't have all the equipment at the space, which you probably won't, you got to bring all of it. And then you got to bring all the ingredients and you got to prep them in a place that's not ready for you to prep in. And so there's a lot in your way. It's not like when you have a restaurant that's yours, you can just do it how you want to do it because it's your restaurant. So if you need to prep tire for the whole week and do 500 portions of tire, you just make all of it. For pop-up, you one day and then you're gone. And hopefully you made enough or hopefully you didn't make too much. Right. So the planning part is hard, but I think the finding space is like the craziest part. Like yeah. I've been lucky because people have reached out to me, but not everybody has that luxury. And so I would be curious, like Vin in particular, like how did you get like, I hate to say it like this, but how did you convince somebody to let you do ramen in their place? Like, what what was the what was the pitch? Well, so, so okay, so I I agree with you that the hardest part is to find a space. That the people who are willing to let you to do it, their space and use their kitchen, right? So, the space that I'm currently working with, um, so I'm lucky to have friends that's his friend with these like restaurant owner and you know like i wanted to reach out to them and say hey can i do my pop-up at your place so i reached out to them and they responded they say yeah we love ramen and you know we really want to like support you guys as young chef you know like who have little experience and when to get into the industry but we need to try your ramen first to make sure <laughs> it's good because like yeah. we don't want to yeah cause an yeah. event and yeah. if your ramen is not up to bar then it will damage our reputation as well right. so yeah. you know I, I make ramen invite them over okay they love the ramen and then we just set a day for our first pop yeah. Yeah. so like now and it's funny you mentioned that then because now what i'll do and this is my move and i hate to tell people this because it sounds like i'm manipulative mm -hmm. but i'll just invite chefs over and have them try ramen and you'd be surprised at how, if your ramen is good, which I, you should yes. not do a pop-up if your ramen sucks. Like yes. you've got other problems <laughs> to figure out. But assuming everybody here in this group chat makes good ramen, so this is a given. And How do you know your ramen is good? Like, how do you know that? Well, I'm confident. <laughs> and I think these guys also know. Like, they know that their ramen's good. Like, we've all tried each other's food. We've mm -hmm. talked about it extensively. We know. But so assuming your ramen's good. Mm -hmm. Ask a chef, hey, I'm really trying. Can I just pick your brain? I'm trying to get into the industry. I'm trying to do stuff. I would love to cook for you on a day off that's relative, that's relevant to you or easy for you. Would you be willing to come over and try a bowl of ramen? Mm. And ramen is hot and ramen is cool and people will yeah. definitely come over. I've had way too many chefs sit in the room behind me back here <laughs> just because I asked them to and I was willing to cook for them. Like, Ultimately, it's a hospitality thing. And if that can get you to a conversation where you say, well, can we do something together? Then that's what it is. The goal is to get in the door. Everything else is still hard. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Eric knows there's, that it's the hardest of all. There's, there's still a lot of, of work. Yeah. But you got to get the space. Like mm -hmm. The space yeah. is the critical part. Like, yeah. That's actually so, a great tip for people that don't really have much connections in the industry. Right, if you're just a home right, cook making ramen at right. home, 
how you'd be surprised at how receptive they are man i mean i don't know if it's just chicago or what but so many people are just like yeah i would love to i would love to come Mm -hmm. i mean i've had people who run michelin star restaurants come in here like they got shit to do they're busy they don't they're not just gonna willy-nilly come over but food is a connector right if you think about it we're all in the hospitality industry for a reason and that's because we like to provide for people we like to provide hospitality we like to make people happy and so having someone over to feed them is an extension of that obviously so of course it resonates with everyone it's worked for me i would definitely recommend anybody give it a shot you'd be surprised mm-hmm. at how it works and worst case scenario you get shot down and it's like you're back at square one right all it takes is one yes you know mm-hmm. right for your first thing cool eric got anything to add to that or pretty good? um yeah, it's good points, but I think one one thing is just uh, like don't be too ambitious at first. Maybe just try yeah, it with yeah. a smaller crowd, because you know, yes. even making two bowls, you know, when you're just doing it for the first time, it's gonna be hectic. You know, like yes. your toppings are everywhere. Your your fingers are just like you know you don't know where to go. Like yeah, and I think maybe starting with like you know four, five, ten, you know, maybe a maximum of ten people, and just doing that a couple of times until. You like, you know, get some feedbacks, you know, because like, you know, like you guys said, you can't serve 100 people if your ramen sucks. Like you got to have like some kind of good. <laughs> well, you can. It will just be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll just be one and done. Yeah. And I'm guessing these people are interested because, you know, they're, you know, they got a re- good reputation already and, you know, they feel ready. But I think practicing, you know, is really, really important. Yeah. Eric, when you did the first day of Menya Hosaki, yes. how many people did you serve? So, yeah, about 120 bowls. Okay. So, I don't know. Yeah. Then, the first pop-up you did, how many people did you serve? 60. 60. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, the first pop-up I ever did was at Ramen Lab, and it was like maybe 90, 80, 90. Mm-hmm. And I got my ass kicked. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric, did you get your ass kicked? On day I, I couldn't. I couldn't walk the next day. Like, <laughs> I'm not joking. Like, literally, I couldn't get up. Yeah. <laughs> so I think Eric, your point is also super valid, right? And I completely glossed over it, but it's true. The other thing is, do not overextend yourself. Like, mm-hmm. way better to do a small pop up and nail it than to do a giant right. one and like flounder and right, right. i won't call out any individuals but i've definitely seen people who are like 250 bulls let's go and it's like there's no way you're gonna really yeah. screw this up and yeah. then inevitably they do and it's like well you know you you haven't figured it out yet like you got to practice like go small find a space and go small mm-hmm. and i mean then- it's, it's it sounds impressive if, if you say people you do like 200 bulls or 300 bulls but the quality of making yeah. <laughs> 250 bowls versus 100 bowls in the same amount of time yeah. is very yeah. different. It yes. Is. Yeah. Your bowls having, like, yes. Sorry. Go ahead. So if you make like 300 bowls, like in like three hours, most likely your bowl is going to look sloppy. And yes. yeah, it's not going to be looks as good as if you make like 100 bowls or if you make it whole. So yeah, I mean, like, it's really either the pro- like the matter if you want to choose like the quality or the quantity. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Now, keep in mind, it is a business, so the quantity mm-hmm. component Absolutely. is important. You want to make right, the right. yeah. 
But yeah, that, that's actually the next question is what's a good number of bowls to serve <coughs> in the very first pop-up? That's from Confucius Eats. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, well for me, like for my first pop-up, I like I did not project like how many bowls mm. that I would be able to sell. I just make what I was able to make, like my maximum yeah. capacity. So I, I I don't remember how much I made, but I was able to make about 60 bowls. And if mm. I, I ever sold out 60 bowls, that's it. Right. Yeah. But like my second pop-up, I will I make 100 bowls and then it sold out quick. And then the next one I increase to like 130, 150. Right. So I, I, I never like like push myself in the first one because I know like, yeah, I would never be able to handle if I want to do like 150. Uh, I, I think it's pretty clear. Like if it depends on your restaurant experience, like for Mike, I, I know he built up that reputation and then, you know, ramen lab, like he invited him, you know, and for me and Vin, like, you know, at least we, at least we got to work at ramen shack. And for me, I worked at a restaurant like a lot of my life and yeah. also my life. And if you don't have the restaurant experience, maybe do 10 bowls. I don't know. I, re I really think, you know, 10 is a good number. Yeah. If you do have restaurant experience and you know what it feels like to get your butt kicked, like, you know, that, because even if it's a different industry, but if you know, how, if your body's kind of used to that motion of just, you know, kind of just getting stuff out, like it'll help. So maybe like 30 bowls. I don't know. It's just, I'm just making up numbers, but you got to ask yourself that question. Like, where do I stand in terms of restaurant experience? You know, yeah, that's totally. Really, yeah. But if, if not, if you haven't had any experience, I say like five or 10, seriously. Like, yeah, I mean the supper club, approach where you just host it in a small venue or even in your yeah. apartment or something is not a bad way to go. Mm -hmm. You know, these guys noodle in a haystack do that mm -hmm. essentially. And it allows them to have an intimate setting. They, you get a lot more leeway, I think in general, in terms of the timing too, because you're a house, you're not a restaurant. So right. and you don't need to hire all the staff and you kind of avoid some of the, the challenges, but at the same time, like, <clears throat> can't sell a bowl of ramen for 40 bucks so yeah. like you gotta yeah how do you deal with the economics of that you know for your first pop-up you have no really restaurant ex you have no restaurant experience i'm just giving a hypothetical person yeah. loves cooking ramen at home comes in wants to do a pop-up he hears this podcast he's he, he says okay i'll do 10 bowls but you know yeah do you just expect don't try and make money like, don't try yeah, to make yeah. money for your first the one. Just go, try to, yeah. 100% you're, you're learning like just 100%. sell it so that people will get in the door right and do it for the experience right, now right. i'm not against you getting your ass kicked <laughs> in fact sometimes i think getting your butt kicked is good because mm -hmm. it's like you need the lesson like eric <laughs> you yeah. probably are a better chef now because uh, day one rocked you and you were like right. <laughs> i gotta be ready for this now. yeah and i agree yeah and eventually we will all get our butts kicked because we'll hit our capacity and go right. so like last year is when this happened for me where I did, and it was at Momotaro actually with, with uh, Eric Benz, who you interviewed with. Mm -hmm. And we got, we got destroyed. We did like 280 bowls and it was just like all at once, nine orders, Jeez. nine orders, nine orders, bam, bam. And so like, then I knew I was like, that's too much and I'm not gonna go past that and that's, that's my limit. Ideally, you don't hit that initially though, I guess, like that level of severity. So there's probably some balance. I would say, it's always good in general to start low, but expect at some point to push yourself to a, 
an area that you mm. like are budging up against and you need to get your butt kicked a little bit to pass. Like yeah. it's okay to get your butt kicked eventually. Just probably not with the first bill you've ever served before. Good, good stuff. So um, it sounds like, Eric, did you have staff for your first pop-up that you did 120 or was it just you by yourself? Oh yeah, uh, no, no, I had, I had staff. Uh, okay. You know, I had to have people. I, I, I prepared, yeah. Okay, so this question from R. Bukalan says, how, did you divide, how do you divide responsibilities between the different stations and what is the workflow when order comes in? Um, I can start. Yeah, go ahead, man. Uh, so um, for my pop-up, um, so I have at least three people making the bowl of ramen, mm. right? So, so the flow is is a follow. So because I do pre-selling the ticket, mm -hmm. so uh, with different time slots. So I I kind of know like who's coming in the next time slot, right? Yes. So when the guests come to the restaurant, we have people in front of our house checking in the guests. And then that person will bring the ticket of the guest, uh -huh. including the name and the bowls of ramen, bring to the back of the kitchen. And then as soon as I saw the kitchen, I can start like dropping the noodles, put the soup, the tare. So like I like for me, like I want to do the tare, cook the noodles, uh, put the soup into the bowl. And then like after I drop the noodles in the bowl, I pass to the next person and then they place the toppings. So like usually there are two people doing the talking. Mm -hmm. And the, these people are actually just my friends. Mm -hmm. They're in like the foodie community in Austin and they're interested in ramen and they just yes. wanted to come and help. And that is really helpful because one thing I learned about like doing my second and my third pop-up, like you have to start to trust your friends at your station because it's impossible for you to try and to do everything. Like you cannot like put a tare, cook the noodles and do toppings. It's gonna take a lot of time. Yeah. Because like as soon as like you finish putting the noodles into the soup, you should start preparing the next order and just let your friends doing the toppings. Right. So if you like can keep that flow, you're gonna be able to like produce more bowls yeah. in the in the timely manner. Eric, what is your station setup like? So my station, um, so it took me a few weeks to kind of get things going and I, you know, switching out equipment because at first what I was doing, so I have a, a the deep fryer um, that's next to the stove and the grill that's like one unit. So deep fryer is like all the way to the right of it. And then the, the burners are all the way to the left. So I have to kind of like run back and forth. Like my station is pretty, like it's just a linear layout and it's crazy. So all the way on the left, left of the burner is where I do the noodles. And then I have to bring that all the way to the right side to, to the boiler. And then um, right across the burner is kind of the sandwich, you know, those units where I can just put the bowls down and do the toppings. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that question is tricky because it depends on the style of ramen you're doing, first of all, and the kitchen layout. So, like, you know, some kitchens, if, even if you wanted to have like five people, it just doesn't work like that. Some customers are like, oh, why don't you guys like try to make the process faster by having like you know, more kitchens? But, you know, ramen just if the kitchen layout allows you i believe like even one or two people can run it because they can just turn around here's a noodle here's a noodle boiler and do the toppings blah, blah blah so you know it just really depends and for me like uh the flow of the shop is like i'll get the order to cash i have a cashier who does like the busting and washing the the, the mm -hmm. bowls and the, she gets the orders and gives us a ticket 
and I'll um, so for me like I torch my chashu kind of like I check so we have to kind of do that too uh, so I'll have I'll put the chashus on there brush on the saws and torch and then I'll do the tare and the oils and then the gas stove that I was using was too weak so I had to buy an electric you know those what induction cooktops mm -hmm. and they're good those, though they're good i mean that were like what 60 bucks I think on they, 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 they's a lot faster too oh yeah it's faster so you know that after you start using that and so i just pour in, in the broth and heat it up and for me it's it's hard because like chintan you don't want to overboil it because it'll get cloudy so you have to really keep your eye on it and you have to boil it like per order you can't just keep like a tonkotsu like keep rolling boil every order and you can just pour yeah. it's like so it just really depends what your menu is you know so for me yeah take it and I'll do the chashu prep and then the tare oil. And then um, I have one guy doing like the noodles. Like he'll take the noodles out and kind of, you know, untangle them and yeah. get it ready on a tray so we can drop it. And once, once the noodle, uh, the boiler, the noodles, I mean, sorry, the soup is boiling, you know, about to boil, then we'll drop. And yeah, and that depends on the noodle cook time too. Some you know, sukemen noodles are like, what, two, three minutes, sometimes even four minutes longer, you know, but it's, Dude, the last skimmin noodles I had were like a six minute cook. Yeah, yeah, like six. Yeah, <laughs> the ones six, that I've made have been all the way up to like ten minutes, which is just yeah, yeah. Bonkers. And it depends on the thing because my fryer, this thing is strong as hell. So like, yes, yes. you know what I mean. Like the people don't realize this, but like a fryer obviously is not meant to boil water. So like the right. minimum temperature is like two hundred fifty degrees, which <laughs> is extremely hot for water. It is, yeah, showering water everywhere. Yeah, so those noodle times that come in, you know, when you buy the noodles, like they, they never apply to me. I have to like reduce them by like 20, 30 seconds. So, I mean, it just depends your flow. Like you have to, you know, do it and just learn. Like for for Mike, I'm guessing like when you do miso, you, do you have to like, like what, stir fry the veggies and stuff and the miso? Yes, yeah, so we don't, there's no way we could do that to order. Oh, I see. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, so just, Eric, are you running the whole line by yourself? It's just you back there? No, 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 no. It's me, me and another guy on the weekends. When weekends right now, we're really busy. So I have usually three people that's, you know, going between chashu noodles, test of me or the other guy that knows how to do the tata and the oils. Mm -hmm. We'll handle those depending on who, who's where, you know, but yeah, three, three people when it's busy, two people when it's like weekdays. Yeah. yeah. And one cashier. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And I similarly at my pop ups, I almost always do the soup or at least the tare and the oils. Um, I think you might have noticed a pattern here, Ryan, that the tare seems to be the thing that all of us are controlling. <laughs> like, never pass you know, that I, I actually have uh, um, one of my friends suggest that uh, she could like let, like suggest me to let her do the tare. Uh, but like tare is extremely important because like when you put into the bowls, there's a lot of different things like tare, oil, what kind of, you know, like if, if you yeah. do like shio and shoyu, then you have two different kind of tare. So it's, it's very critical that I think like the chef does the tare instead yeah. of like letting some other people do. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree with you guys a hundred percent. Like, not that i mean realistically though and i'm sure you guys are the same way but i try and make sure that my line is as regimented as possible so that means everything is pre-measured everything is in, if it has a ladle the ladle is just one right, of them right. and you're not like hoping that you got the right amount mm -hmm. so it's just 
dump and go. So theoretically, anybody could do it. But I don't know. I don't. I want the tare. I want to be involved. <laughs> I want. That's mine. That's my miso tare. It's like that's my that's my little baby there. I've been working on that for too long. Like, and the tare is the is in so many ways the most distinct element of the soup, right? Like. <laughs> it designs the flavor of the dish so it's really got a hit and it seasons the dish so if it's too salty it's on whoever did the tar <laughs> right, so it's right. got to be nailed you got to yeah. nail the tar mm -hmm. you know if you if you if the noodles the noodles have some leeway i always think and the toppings are like whoever puts the toppings on put the mm -hmm. toppings on like just make it look pretty but right. the tar is not good then the soup is bad right so but I guess if this pivots into like, how do I set up my line? I think it depends on the pop-up. Like if I do 280 bowls, I got a bunch of cooks. There's no way I'm doing it by myself. Yeah. I got at Zoe's at split rail when we did 260, which was the most recent one that I've done in November. I had a person on noodles. I had a person uh, to my left also helping with topping and chashu. And then I was doing tare and oils and soup. And then we had somebody expediting, so they're calling out orders. Okay, I need three miso to show you, whatever. And they were doing toppings. So it's all regimented throughout. The, right. Just like with any kitchen, you have stations that somebody is responsible for. The bigger you are, the more your station decreases in size. If you're doing 300 bowls, there's no way you can do all the stations, right. at least not reasonably. So you've got to delegate. I think Vin's point is super important that you have to be willing to delegate out responsibility because you'll die otherwise. Right, 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 <laughs> Customers right, will yeah. be pissed. <laughs> they don't care that you're dead. They ordered food. They want yeah, food. Yeah, exactly. Good stuff. How do you, so there's a couple of questions here that I'm going to try to link them together, but Jeffrey the Wang asks, um, what equipment are you guys using for prepping for the pop-up? Are you using the equipment in the restaurant or you have like a commissary kitchen separate from the place? And, and also that he's asking, I think that's what he's asking, but because he's also asking, how do you transport everything to the restaurant or to the place uh, that you're actually doing the, the pop-up? That's a good question. Where you do everything in your restaurant. So. Yeah, for me, I luckily, well, my parents' place didn't have anything I needed. I mean, other than the stovetop, like I needed a candy stove, like for the broth and, um, and a noodle boiler, obviously. So a noodle boiler, I, I, I was trying to just use a pot at first, but it was the flame wasn't, BTU wasn't strong enough to get the water boiling. So then, you know, the deep fryer came in and for me, the equipment, yeah, I'm doing everything there. And I just bought, you know, those candy stoves are the low ones where you can put the big pots where you can, you know, boil, uh, you know, large amount of soup. Um, and you, you, yeah, you can't do that on a regular stovetop unless it's like, I don't know. I've, I haven't really seen people do do that, Mike. Like, do you use a regular yeah, stove? I use a regular old stove. But I'm only doing chinton, so it's okay. a lot easier, right? Okay. I don't need to go above. I don't need to go above simmer ever. Right, right, right. Whereas right. you're doing tonkotsu, right? So yeah. you gotta blast it with the heat. For me, I've done, and then, you know, things like I don't know. I mean, little things like sous vide machine. Of course, I just bring that from home and. Don't tell anybody though. You need a HACCP for that. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Don't tell anybody. Use it's a gently no, poached uh, chicken breast. It's not. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. Uh, I I prep everything on site just because the exception is like sometimes I'll make tire just at home just because it's more convenient. But 
Mm. Technically, you're not supposed to do that ever, like legally. You're like supposed legally, to cook everything in a commercial kitchen, right? You should cook yeah. everything oh, yeah, yeah, in a yeah. place that is licensed to cook. So uh, I only don't do it when it is highly, highly convenient for me. So like tare is just, there's so many small quantities of ingredients. It doesn't make sense to bring right. all those to your kitchen. Please don't arrest me, whoever's listening to this podcast. I'm breaking law by doing this, but it is more convenient. But everything else, you should just do it at the restaurant. Yeah, Sam. Theoretically, Sam they can call, you can ship all the stuff to the restaurant. Yeah, you do yeah. everything at the restaurant, right, then. Yeah, I, I do everything at the restaurant, um, except for the tare that I do at home, because, like, it's, it's, it's just, like, like, my tare, like, I did way before the pop-up day. Yes. So like, mm. like I, I do a little bit on this day and then I do a little bit on next day. Mm. So it's inconvenient for me to do that on site because right. I, I don't want to like interrupt the yeah. restaurant operation. So I, I do that at home, but yeah. all of the other stuff, like chasu, broth, cutting, yeah, think about like this, man. Like, I do everything on site. I got a miso tare that needs three, four, five grams of cayenne pepper or togarashi or whatever i have lying around am i gonna bring a bottle of that to do this at a restaurant and then take the rest home it's like this is a meaningless amount like yeah yeah, silly, yeah. right like this is the biggest challenge of pop-ups you gotta if you don't own the space you gotta bring all your stuff there and then take all yeah. of it away and like exit and eject exactly. And are that you working? Are you working around their schedule too? Because they're still in business oh, yeah. too, right? So yes, right, yes. So like for 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 the restaurant that I'm like doing my pop up at, like they only open from five thirty to midnight. Mm -hmm. So my time is pretty much like from probably like six a.m. until like three p.m. Because yeah. like I have to like use those time to prep my stuff. And then I have to get out there. So their staff mm -hmm. can come in in the afternoon and yeah. prepare for their service. Yeah. So Eric, yeah. yours is the so, most interesting because yours is a deli though. So yeah. How do you navigate that schedule? Yeah, so basically they close around three and I have to give myself an hour just to switch up the layout of the kitchen. Oh, really? Like, yeah, because like even the sandwich unit, they have all their like lettuce, tomato, you know, all that, you know, deli stuff. I have to clear that out put you know my my toppings on there and then you know on the on the ledge like on the counter they have like their equipments and their toasters and like i gotta go in there you know for an hour just cleaning that up and you know just switching it up to my unit and i gotta unplug some of the units that they use because like the the induction you know is kind of strong and yeah, i need all the power i can get so it's just it's a lot it's it takes me about an hour just to switch things out yeah, and you have to take that into consideration as well. Dude, Mike was so still. I thought he froze when he was looking at his phone. <laughs> I don't, I guess the thing that baffles me is like you have to move around kitchen equipment before you start. Yeah. Do you move it back when you're done? Yeah. So every night? Every night. So, for example, yeah, like, hard pass on that, my guy. Yeah. Absolutely. No, 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 not everything. Like the only thing, <laughs> equipment wise, all I have to do is, um, the, the deep fryer, they only have one gas unit for that, right? So they, okay. we have two get. he used to have two deep fryers. He gave me one of them and, you know, obviously I had to clean it out and I fill it with water. But because there's only one gas line designated for that, I have to switch those out every time he's in. It takes like, what, two minutes? You know, that's not the bad part. It's just, it's just the, 
you know, I got to bring, I have a little, little box with all my toppings on it with the oils, yeah. tare, any things like tare. I have, you know, I keep it in the back so no one touches like during operation. Like, so I got to, it's just like, it's a transformation of the kitchen. It just looks completely different when it's my turn, you know? But yes. Yes. It's something I have to suck up and, you know, it just, it, it sucks. It's annoying, but it just kind of came, became uh, just a routine for me. So, you know, just, mm-hmm. it's just an hour a day. Yeah. You're setting up your line basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's something that, that's something that if you had a restaurant, you wouldn't have to do. Oh, exactly. Not nearly yeah. as much, right? No, no, like, no. Because you can just, you know, just, it's the same layout, you know? Like, but, yeah, the, the scallions are there where they always are. <laughs> Yeah. And like, you got to realize if you do borrow space, you got to respect their space. It's yes. there. So you got to leave like how you came into. And, you know, that's even though it's my parents, I try to respect that as much as I can. And, you know, I think that's why it's it's hard to, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a, a really good point, because mm-hmm. when I like after every time I prep, I try to like leave everything at its original position because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's that's one of the reason that they're gonna host you again like if you mess up the kitchen right. they're probably like not gonna be right. happy and they're gonna say okay that's it we're not gonna do it ever again yeah so like i clean like yeah yeah of course like of clean course. everything down wipe it all yeah. down make it look like you were barely even there yep yeah i guess that's another tip if somebody wants to do a pop-up is like respect the space like right. we all we, you heard it from everybody here like Come in, clean down when you're done. Make it look like you weren't even there. Yeah. What time are you guys leaving usually after a pop-up, going home? So my last one, um, last one was the first time we did a dinner pop-up. So we, start, we started around 5.30 and the last seating was 8.30, but I didn't get to leave until like 11. Oh, wow. Because like, like I had to make the meal for the staffs, mm-hmm. and then after that, I had to like clean up mm-hmm. a lot of stuff, and then carry like my equipments back to my car and drove home. So yeah, it's like from five thirty to eleven p.m. Same thing for you guys, basically leaving at around eleven thirty, twelve o'clock. At first, I was leaving at like two three a.m. because. Oh my like I, I think I pulled a few all-nighters because you know I, I wasn't good enough to make broth during operation. But restaurant, when you run a restaurant, you got to be able to multitask and yes, you know, like a lot of shops are boiling during operation. You know, it, and it's just it's something you learn. But now you know now obviously I, I never stayed past like one a.m. But even these days when I'm if I'm doing chashu, it just depends. Like if I got a busy day and I run out of chashu, I got to stay up. You know, after service ends. To like midnight, it's just you know, just to make yeah. more, yeah, yeah, just midnight or 1 a.m., just making eggs, and yeah, you know. but but that's something you learn, like you you learn your way to kind of navigate that. Like, you know, like I said, I was working from what like 10 a.m. till 2 a.m. when I first opened for like a month, like a lot of the days, a lot of the days, but now you know, I kind of learn how to do it during service, like I use my slow time to do eggs real quick or. You know, make chintan because chintan you can make during service. It's just a you know light boil. You just leave it for six, seven hours. So it, it's just a learning experience. That there's no textbook. If there was a textbook to how to run a ramen shop and go home early, you know, everyone would be easy. But it just depends. It depends on your situation. Do you think that would change oh, if you if you had like a real restaurant, or is that just like no, if you had a restaurant, so. it would be the, exactly the same? I think it's the same thing because like 
when you're in service, it's, it's set up how you need to. And mm-hmm. well, I mean, okay, I guess it's different because you, you have a time schedule. You got to work with a pop-up too. And that kind of did affect me too. But I think even if you have a restaurant, it's going to be hard. I mean, at first, at least. You know. I think in general it is. It's like yeah. the, ra- the restaurant industry is hard and ramen is a hard restaurant yeah. in general. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of components and they take time. None mm-hmm. of them are quick. It's not like a, and you just throw it on the grill and it's done in five minutes. It's like, yep, yep. even eggs take freaking forever. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, at least in my experience, this is something that's distinctly different, I think, from Vin and me and versus Eric, and that we only have one day. So once exactly. we're done, we pack up and we go and our right. lives are lived. Uh-huh. Eric has, you know, a several a stretch. So if day one was busier than he expected, he has to catch right. up. Right, right. Make more right. soup, make more chashu, yeah. make more eggs. Mm-hmm. That's more of a restaurant experience, realistically. You're constantly yep. battling with the demand and understanding what demand's going to be. Right. But ramen is interesting in that you can make more than you need because why not? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it stay it keeps well all the components keep well they're better made in advance most of the time so ramen is well fitted for advanced prep luckily right, right. but it's still hard to keep up like you got to make 50 pounds of chashi or whatever yikes <laughs> that's, a of, that's a lot of pork bellies like yeah that's a lot you're sitting there tying chashi all day yeah and i know these guys roll all their chashi yeah i so. see all the all the, no, all the ramen I've, shack disciples these are not lazy chashu. i've been thinking I've, I've actually been thinking about not to roll my chashu because yeah. it takes a lot of time to roll the chashu i tried it and people didn't like it unrolled they, what like, do you mean? they, they want because it rolled. because here's the thing like you know, I'm pretty sure you guys know when you when I buy a pound of 40 pound box of pork belly, every piece is different. Like some will yes. have real fatty, some will have whatever. Yeah. But there are a lot of the. I mean, it's a pork belly, you know, so it's a lot of fat. So I don't know what it is. When you roll it, it just kind of that shape. It's easy to eat, and like the, the fat and the meat, like it just kind of brings it together evenly. Yeah, but when it's kind of like a just straight shape, I mean, I I personally don't like uh, don't mind it, but when I for one week, I, I was so just tired of rolling. I was like, let me just try it this way. And uh, I didn't mind my, my kitchen step, but I was getting a lot of bowls back and a lot of people were leaving the chashu. Interesting. When yeah. it wasn't rolled? Really? When it wasn't rolled. And I wow. never got like, I never had a chance to get a, a personal feedback, but I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. It just, it's, it was different. Like I was just getting a lot of, bowls you know with return chashu not return but a lot of people were leaving the fat part and just you know versus when i roll it it's just crazy people kill it mm. i think it might be just because the shape you know pe- people like one of the lessons that people have to learn here about ramen is like you know pork belly is a fatty piece like but you know although a lot of, a lot of americans eat bacon when they see the fatty parts of the chashu here they kind of freak out sometimes they say, oh, you know, I don't eat that, you know. So I'll see a lot of people leave that, just the fat part. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, but it didn't work for me, at least. Just- so, yeah, I hate rolling chashu, even though you have to, I think. With American pork belly, it's often not thick enough that, like, you get, like, this little inch little sliver. I think the problem is just the 
the bellies are wildly inconsistent in terms of their thickness. So right. rolling it gives you a more consistent product. Mm -hmm. And so it cooks better, it looks better, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of benefits to it. Mm -hmm. But I'll be honest with you guys. I think I like shoulder more lately and shoulder doesn't have these problems. You just, mm -hmm. it just, you just chuck it in and cut it into chunks and it's not as fatty and right. tasty. And that's what they do in Sapporo. And so I'm kind of like, maybe I just stop doing the belly altogether. I don't know. Oh man, don't tell anybody though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the problem is that I don't know if it's true with you guys, but I, I find that when you really nail the chashu, guests love it almost more than the rest of the dish. And right, so right. there's just no way I can really get rid of the belly. Like people love it too much. Right. Good stuff. So this is an interesting question from... Twilly, I, I think this might have got auto-corrected, but Twilly Ramen asked, flavor-wise, do you find what you create at home translates directly to the pop-up? I mean, I guess, I guess what this person is asking is how, how much does it change the, like what you can make at home versus what you're serving at a pop-up? Oh, okay. Hmm. I mean, you make compromises. Restaurants are always about compromises. You know, I can make the most clearest, beautifulest chinton ever at home, no problem. But when you have 40, 50, 60, 70 pounds of bird in a, in a bucket, all of a sudden it's a lot harder because <laughs> the bones are compressing on one another. And as the chicken cooks, it's like it disintegrates more readily because there's all this other residual tissue around it. And so you're more likely to get murkiness. It's harder to get a clearer soup. Even the clearest soups are a little murky in restaurants compared to the ones that you can make at home. So you're always making compromises, you know, uh, but you're also getting benefits of restaurant equipment. So like I can blast things with heat with an, a high BTU stove. Like can't do that on my dinky electric stove at home. It's just a give and take. You just recognize that some things are better than others. Like for precision, home cooks are way at an advantage. The right. stoves are not as powerful. They have more control. They can pay attention. But for speed and for volume, you know, like I'm not worried about being able to cook 40 pounds of chashu. I can do it. Like, and it'll probably be about the same as if I did it at home. But for the perfect, beautiful, beautiful shape, it's a lot harder unless you're sitting there rolling this thing for 15 minutes and that's not good. Right. You got you to gotta move. You got stuff to do. I don't know. What do you guys think? <laughs> no, I, I agree hundred um, percent. But it also depends like, like if you're doing a miso, like you, if you have like a walk at a restaurant, I mean, of course you're going to get that charred taste. Like, you know, it's just a different world versus doing it at home. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do agree. When you have, when you have more quantity to make, you know, there's going to be leeways that you're going to take to, I guess, lessen the work and, you know, so you're not killing yourself. So it might like bring down the quality depending on the chef, but you know, you can't be as perfect as when you're doing like a five portion serving, I guess, you know? Yeah. Well, just think about it like this, right? Like the bigger the amount is, the less control you have over every little individual piece. Mm -hmm. Even if you want to, even if you're obsessed, which all these guys are, like you're talking to, three extremely passionate ramen chefs right now who care deeply, but they also acknowledge that like sometimes the stove is a little harder to control in a restaurant and like 
How do you get the burner to be just perfect enough? I don't know. Maybe you forget a little bit. You went off to go do one of the 50 bajillion other things you need to do that day. And you let it boil a little bit too much. You know, it's like, there are always these things that happen. And it's harder to navigate when you're in a restaurant. You just don't have as much control because you have so much more to do. But like, does it matter? Ultimately, you decide as an individual what you're willing to allow and what you're not willing to allow. Like for me, I don't care if my chinton isn't crystal clear. Like that ship has sailed. Oh, it's fine. Like no one's going to notice it, The flavor is not impacted. The texture is not impacted. So am I going to beat myself up if the chinton boils a little bit because I was off tying chashu and peeling eggs and didn't see it? Not really. Now, am I going to be upset if the soup's not hot when it goes out? Yeah. Mm. You decide ultimately what you're willing to control when you're not willing to. Right, right. But it's always a balancing act in terms of being in this restaurant mm -hmm. world because you're doing so much more. Right. So that's really the difference. It's just like you've got more to do and you, you have some tools, but your brain is only capable of doing so much. So Ramencraft asks, how do you guys choose what bowls to serve at your pop-ups? Mm, good question. That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for me, so I tend to do like two or three different bowls at, at my pop-up. And um, the way that I choose the second and the third bowl is that I want to use my my main bowl as a base and wait so what is your main bowl you to change the main bowl so like my my main bowl is the shoyu okay so the first one i did the tonkatsu right so tonkatsu i have original hakata style and then black garlic oil and then spicy version of it so it's just like one broth one right broth. but like from the second one the third one and the fourth one i make a shoyu and then I make a different version of dashi with a more intense niboshi. And then I mix the niboshi with the chintan to have a niboshi shoyu. So like you have to utilize your main ingredients to make the second one or the third one. Because right. I, I, I don't want to make like two different types of soup for one pop-up. It's gonna be insane. Mm -hmm. But I know for a fact that Scott, he's doing shoyu, and tonkotsu and tonkotsu year guy for his pop-up that is just like way too much for me like i i would never do that for my pop-up so so yeah like i said like you try to do the more options with the least amount of work that's that's my approach of like deciding like how how many bowls to sell eric what about you how do you decide what's on the menu so for me like if I really truly wanted to have my menu, what I love eating, I would just have shoyu on there. Maybe shoyu, maybe one or two variations of shoyu. But, you know, obviously restaurant is, is a business too. Pop-up is a business too. And you gotta have, you gotta care about the people as well. So, I mean, some people might not agree, but I mean, I, I like tonkotsu, but it's, I'm not crazy about it, but I know people wanna eat it. And I know people wanna eat the spicy one, like what ramen lower calls American, <laughs> yeah. American tonkotsu. Yeah, yeah, American ramen. Um, but you know, like I have a bowl called, you know, I grew up in Baltimore, so it's Baltimore Sun. It's like the spicy tonkotsu. I mean, it's great. I the flavor is great. I mean, but would 
would that be some, you know, would that be one of my main goals? No, but people love it. It's one of my best sellers. And I, I knew that from the beginning that it would be because, you know, most of these shops are just, you know, a lot of people are eating that at a lot of the shops. So, um, so I try to, when I print out my menu, I try to put what I love and what I recommend first, like show you on the top. And then what's my second one? I think second one right now, it might be a spicy tantan. And I use a chicken base with that chicken or tonkotsu base. And so I, I, I categorize a menu into like chintan and tonkotsu broth. But like Vince said, I try to just re recycle the ingredients that I have. Like, like one of the most genius dish I've seen Keizo make is negi shoyu. It's like, you know, he uses the ends. Because when you cut the chashu, the end pieces are, you know, not, yeah. you can't really use that as a, presentable chashu like for bowls so he chops those up and he cuts a negi and you know what is that stock called where, where you uh is julienne the like where you cut the negi kind of long and yeah. he, he he you know mixes it with spice powder and he torches it i mean it's one of the best bowls I've, and it's but it's still a show you brought and it has a slight kick to it and the stuff like that is just recycling the meat like the ends and you know even like dirty show you how that came to be was like amazing for me this genius so like i tried to come up with ways to recycle my ingredients but still make it an amazing bowl but yeah i mean everything on the menu has to be something you would eat and something you would love like you can't just have like eh, yeah i'm just doing it 100 for the people you know but for me i do have you know at least one or two things that I, it's not my top favorite but i want people to eat because i know they'll love it yeah yeah i don't know how i come up with my menu I mean, I always have the miso. There's always a miso because that's my bowl. Like <laughs> that's, it has to be there. It will always be on the menu. I will never remove the miso, the Akahoshi miso live forever. It changes. It's changed as much as like in August, I changed the tare. And this has been a dish that I've been making for nine years. And I changed the tare again. It just, it changes, but everything else is, up up in the air i don't know this is what i want to make and also what i think will sell i mean for a while i was making a tauntaun men not because i like the tauntaun men but because i know people wanted a spicy option and it sold nice to me so right. i made it i think it's like air yeah, but, but very simply it's like what's it's a it's, it is a business and i want people to come and have a good time so right, i right. have to yeah. have to kind of make stuff that i think people will enjoy you know as much as i would love to make a tonkotsu yokai it's like oh man if i sell more than 10 of those <laughs> i'm lucky right now we did one in nashville we did a tonkotsu yokai tsukemen which oh yeah i remember that yikes that thing is a pain in the butt to make oh my goodness it took me three hours to strain it it was nuts <laughs> y'all yes. know these guys know they've done it before yeah, yeah. insane i can't believe we sold that many people really enjoyed it but i think that's an exception I think most of the time people see super fishy and they freak out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So like I try to avoid those flavors on mine. Not because I don't love them, but because I don't think they'll sell. Mm. It's a balancing act. You gotta decide. Right. But also to Eric's point, I like everything that I sell, at least enjoy it enough that I need right, it. Right, right. If I didn't enjoy it, there's no point. Don't don't even bother. Yeah. Because you're not, you're not, we're not here to pander. Mm. Like we're not here to just make garbage food to make a quick buck we're doing this because we love ramen so we better love the ramen we make right right so i have to love everything that's on the menu but 
Some I like yeah. more than others. It's not, it's, yeah, it kind of sounds like you guys are balancing the, of course, adding what you want to eat first, but then also thinking about the financial parts of it. And it has to be things that people will buy and order. So it's like a balancing act between those th two things, it sounds like. Um, that kind of leads into this next question. It's two, for, two questions from two different people, but um, Nama Japan TV asks, are pop-ups actually a financially attractive or are they just more for fun and marketing? Well, I mean, of course, you have to make money to mm -hmm. do pop-up. Like, it's a lot of work, right? So, like, for the first one, I didn't make any money for the first one mm -hmm. because, like, there's a tons of equipment, yeah. ingredients you had to buy. I had to buy the bowls when I pop up. Um, I mean, it's, 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 it's definitely profitable, but the main reason is for me is because I, I want to make ramen for people. That's, that's right. the main reason that I want to do the pop. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if, if your first question you're asking yourself is money, um, uh, it might be a sign that you're not ready. Maybe, I don't know. This might be a strong opinion, but I think that passion of food has to drive it first and then, you know, it, everything else will kind of fall into pieces, but I think it'll take you several, several, like many pop-ups to really get to a point where you can start making money because when you start buying ingredients, bones and toppings, you're not going to be able to gauge exactly how, how many you're going to sell. And you're going to have a lot of leftovers. You're going to have a, you know, you might be, you don't never want to be short. So you have to, you know, kind of, overkill the ingredients so you have to buy a lot and i i lost money for what two three months like because i was always experimenting and i was buying more than it but it now i know exactly how, how much to buy you know i'm not buying like 200 pounds of pork belly like i used to before i mean <laughs> Crap. you know what i mean even like scallions scallions are expensive so at some seasons like some states is more expensive than others and you know and it just i was sort of throwing away a lot of stuff and I think after a few pop-ups, you'll be able to gauge that. Um, but only with experience, you'll be able to. But money, I don't know. It's just, is it attractive? Uh, I guess. Yeah, you'll make money if you get it right. You know, especially when you make everything from scratch, you'll, you'll make money, you know. But Yeah, I mean, your hourly rate will be horrendous. Think about <laughs> how much your hourly rate is. What do you think? I think I make like $2 an hour or something. <laughs> Yeah, I think something around. Uh, my my pop-ups are profitable. I'll be honest with you guys, but I also sell tickets and require that you put in how what you're ordering before you show up. So I have right. Oh, exact, okay, yeah. It's a lot easier to make money when you know exactly how much of a thing you're going to sell yeah. week right. a week or so in advance. Because my waste is really low, I can make exactly as much as I need. I can cost out the dish accordingly based on how much the actual individual ingredients are going to cost and i buy exactly what i need and nothing more and nothing less so my mine are profitable yeah but mm -hmm. i didn't do this for the money exactly yeah, you yeah get into the, first true. of all you should not get into the restaurant industry to make money like mm -hmm. eat with the exception of a few restaurateurs who own dozens and dozens of restaurants like this is not a game to be rich like right you do this because you love ramen or you love food or whatever. And that's why we do it. The, the money is just because it has to make money or else it doesn't work. Right. Like it has to, it's a business. Right. 
it's not an art project where I just walk around town handing out samples and show you. It's like, <laughs> I, run a, I run a pop-up restaurant for a day. Vin runs a pop-up restaurant. Eric runs pop-up restaurant. Like, it's gotta be sustainable. But that's out of necessity, uh, not, not the driving force. Mm -hmm. And I think it makes us better for it too. Like if I was driven by the profit motive, I think I'd make some bad choices. Like I would pre-make, I would use pre-made tare and I'd make pre-made soup and maybe I'd buy the chashu or I'd, I'd buy pre-made eggs. I don't know. <laughs> you don't need to know how to make ramen. How much, would it, how much yeah, would it cost to put together every... like a, yeah. How much would it cost to put together a bowl of pre-made everything? Cheap. Super cheap. Really? Crazy cheap. Yeah. yeah. In fact, sort of a tangent, but if, if the bowl of ramen is really cheap in the U S it's probably pre-made. <laughs> yeah. I see on the subreddit sometimes like, I can't believe this is only 10 bucks or 12 bucks or whatever. Because it's pre-made. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, you don't <laughs> eat tare. Yeah. You don't oh, need okay. tare. You can yeah, buy it, a it comes seasoned. It comes seasoned. Like I mean, I'm talking oh, about like the this bases, yeah, 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 the bases. It comes seasoned. So a lot of yeah, it's just that's. Tonkotsu base it. got the salt and MSG in it. You just ladle it in. You add some mm -hmm. water and ladle it into the bowl. You're good to go. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, like if if I was really motivated by profit, then I would do all that stuff because it <laughs> saves me so much time and it's cheap. But I don't think it makes the ramen the way I want it to be. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Ultimately, I want to stand behind when I'm making. Do you do you guys think that the price of ramen was going to reach like, I think I think Mike, you said that you were charging twenty dollars a bowl or something like that for the yeah. last one you did. Do you think yeah. that's going to be the new norm? And that's actually a question from Ramen Addict. Do you think that's going to be the new normal price for like this kind of craft ramen? I'm the worst person to ask about this, Eric. You're selling more ramen than all of us. What do you think? Like, where are your prices, and where do you think they'll go? So I'm charging. 15 for the classics like shoyu tonkotsu okay. and then and it's gyokai when i was doing gyokai tonkotsu um ramen version not sukimen i was charging 18 18 um and it really depends you know like like i'm i i'm pretty set on my prices and i don't know that's a hard that's a really hard question it and really matters how much time you put into your bowl to like if i'm just staying up you know till 3 a.m making tonkosu gyokai straining for three hours and stuff like that you know i i gotta take that into account too you know like my my time and my effort into that as well but i don't know that's just that's something i'm still learning so i don't want to answer that with just like you know little knowledge i have about that but i try to cost out all the ingredients and look how much time I'm spending to make this and that. And, you know, and also you got to compare it to the local shops too. You know, you can't just be charging 20 for show you when they're charging like 20, $12 for a show, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think it's hard. It's, it's good because when people try real ramen, like they're like, Oh my God, how come this show you tastes different from this X, Y, Z shop? Like, you know, this blah, blah, blah shop, you know, next to you, like, obviously, because, you know, we're making chintan from scratch and it'll taste different, you know, and people appreciate that. So, you know, for me, yeah, I give half an egg, two chashus, and a lot of these restaurants don't even come with like an egg. And I mean, I mean don't come with like chashu. They just give you like one or a small piece and you have to buy chashu and you have to buy toppings, which I, you know, I, it's just however you want to run it. But like for me, I want to give the complete set and you can add from there. Um, so when people eat it, you know, I rarely get complaints about prices. 
um, as long as your food is good and they see that you're pouring your heart and soul into it. Yeah, but that's a that's a tough question. I don't know. So Ryan, just to make sure I'm understanding your comment, you're asking, do we expect ramen to become more expensive in the U.S. or cheaper? Yeah, I think that was his question. Like, expensive, will twenty dollar right? bowls become the norm here in the U.S. eventually? I guess. I, I guess what he I mean. I guess with inflation, it's going to go. Like people. <laughs> People are more comfortable to pay twenty dollars mm-hmm. for a bowl, right? I think that kind of comes with the appreciation of how hard it is to make. That that's what it would would require, right? right? No, dudes. I think it might be the opposite. I you think I expect prices to drop. Yeah, um, because uh, I don't know. Look, I'm not an expert on the pricing of ramen. <laughs> I price it at twenty dollars because that's what I need to price it at. Like, not. I don't think about anybody else. Mm. But I will say that, like more shops open up and the more competition there is, the more pressure there is to drop the price. Like, right. Can't you go both ways? Said, like you can go like of, super yeah. premium and then yeah. super economy. And so I think it's kind of like sushi. Mm-hmm. Sushi went a similar route where you had, at least in Japan, but this is true in the US too, you had drop dead cheap sushi that like you're wondering what this food is. <laughs> is it t- actually edible? The tilapia you know? sushi. Yeah, it's some, <laughs> some chum eating yeah. thing. Who knows? And then you had upper echelon. And of course, ramen's not going to be $100 a bowl. But I, I would like to think that in the future, people will recognize the difference between the two. Again, I complained about this listlessly when I was on the podcast last time. <laughs> that people can't tell the difference, and that's the problem. Yeah. But if the differences are noticeable and people feel like they're getting the value, they'll pay more. That's mm-hmm. the gist of it. Currently people pay $20 a bowl for my ramen. I've never had a person say, man, this is too expensive. It wasn't worth it. Now am I giving everybody an egg and I'm loading it up with chashu? Yeah. Like I'm giving you your money's worth, but I think people will understand. We're lucky in that we don't have these preconceived notions that Japan has where it needs to be $7. Mm-hmm. You know, it needs to be 700 yet. But people understand that it's still a noodle soup, so you can't go crazy. You can't right. charge fifty bucks. Like I have done that before. Charge forty dollars for a bowl of ramen and a truffle all up in it, but that's rare. That's like a special thing. Like yeah. you can't do yeah. that all the time. Right, right. Alrighty, let's get oh, there's still a ton of questions, guys. Let's see. What this am was, I doing today? Let's this, go. <laughs> this is a quick one. Are, do you guys get insurance when you do pop-ups? Uh, yes. There's cheap insurance you can buy called Flip Insurance that covers uh, sole proprietors. It's like $100 a year or something. Just get it. Like, get it one and yeah. done. You can write it off as a business expense, and you don't have to worry about it ever again. Okay. And then if somebody gets sick, it'll cover it. God forbid. Now, ramen is like... It's hard to get people sick because you're boiling the crap out of everything. Mm-hmm. But like, dude, you really don't want to get anybody sick. Yeah. So the other thing I recommend is like get certified in some sort of food management or food sanitation yeah. certification just so you know how to keep people safe. So yeah. uh, get your insurance, get all that locked up so you're not worried about and not putting people in potential harm's way. And then if in the event that something does happen, because things can happen, you're insured. You have to worry about it. It's pretty cut and dry, honestly. Cool. Don't don't take the risk. It's not worth it. Cool, cool. Yeah. All right. This one is from Scott, who was supposed to join us today, but he's just slammed. So how do you guys deal with the task of sourcing the right ingredients if you lack a connection to an importer? 
And also he wants you guys to tell some stories of um, how you solve some of the problems on the fly when dealing with producing, oh, producing on the scale of a one-time event, especially pertaining to the maintaining quality and keeping losses to minimum. I think we kind of talked about that one, but I guess, how, how do you guys deal with the sourcing of ingredients? So um, for me, I just buy whatever is available at my nearest grocery store. Uh, but recently, I buy chicken from um, a wholesaler when they, you know, they supply like a 40 pound case of chicken for most restaurants. So I was able to buy that from them. Uh, but mo most of the ingredients I buy is from locally. Um, but there are some like certain ingredients like kombu, katsu, bushi, you know, like the tie of the one to make dashi or even my menma. So Eric has been, you know, like sending those stuff to me because like he, he has, he has oh, like, really? he, yeah, yeah. Eric, the, like he talked about it in his podcast interview earlier today. He has like some, no, 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 this, this Eric. Oh, this, this Eric brings it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the other Eric too was talking Eric, about how you, what? That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah I mean like, because like I want to use like the highest ingredients. Mm -hmm. Yes. Possible. Yeah. So he's been really nice and sending those stuff to me. Like, so Eric, how did you get in touch with that? Uh, purveyor there um so i'm lucky because i i'm under operating under my um my my father's uh, business license so you know i use his deli traders like that trade license to buy stuff so i i just lucked out with that you know do you keep the the finances separate between this pop yeah, up it's, and uh, so yeah so what i do is i use square and but okay. i still use his tax id so i give my Got dad you know, the, i keep my report separate so i you know, pay him to pay the CPA, the tax, you know, money. Yes. Yeah. So it's very, very separate. Yeah. Yes. So I'm a little bit different than both of you in that I often will leverage connections of the venue that I'm using mm. to help procure certain things. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it just depends. So for really small quantity items, it's just, you just should not, I'll just buy them on my own because like a, little 500 gram thing of miso there's no point in asking somebody to try and buy miso because it's going to come in like a 20 pound container and i'll never use all of it. uh but conversely maybe they have access to it so again depending on the venue they may be able to help you i found that most of the time they can but sometimes they can't and then you're buying at a supermarket and usually i'm buying some stuff at the supermarket anyway which is why again my bowl of ramen is 20 dollars because <laughs> My food cost is higher, right? Yes. Your, restaurants can buy stuff way cheaper than most uh, normal human beings at the supermarket can. Uh, it's marked up considerably because the, the, the sizing is smaller. And so there's this effect of you're paying for what's called bulk breaking in the business where you have a big bulk product and they've divided it into smaller sections. And that process of dividing it costs money. So you pay for that at the supermarket. That's why it's more expensive. Uh, restaurateur doesn't deal with that. They buy 40 pounds of chicken bags, came in a 40 pound box. You can buy them in two pound bags of Whole Foods, or you can buy them in a 40 pound box. It's up to you. Uh, so I try and leverage my connections as best as possible, but there's always some things that I can't get, and then I have to buy them at the supermarket. Well, what do you guys have any stories about how to solve having to solve any problems on the fly? I don't know. Like, what's the worst problem you guys have experienced in your times doing pop-ups? Uh, my problem 
is that I don't have a proper noodle boiler. That's my biggest issue. Yeah. Um, what did you do? I so I bought like a 32 quart uh, pot, and then it just fill up with the water. And then I have a smaller pot with boiling water next to it. So as soon as the water drops, I just immediately refill to keep the water continuous boiling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like you know, like if 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 you do like a hundred port, like if you cook a hundred portion of noodles, like your water is gonna get like super dirty. Yeah, how do you deal with that? Um, so like sometimes I would have like another pot next to it, and then I just like keep switching my noodle basket. Yeah, but it it is really it's not the the best way to do if like your uh, stove is like small. If you have like only six. Burners, it's gonna be like tough to do that. So um, I mean, like, yeah, just keep refilling the water, and then like shake the basket really well. Try to to get rid of the starchy water as possible, because I like, I noticed a few times if you get those starchy water into the noodles, it's gonna have like the tiny like bubbles in 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 your ramen, and it's just not the case for the show you if. You know, like you're not supposed to have bubbles. So, and it's it's gonna be like kind of like um, destroy the flavor, I would say. So, uh, yeah, like I, I I don't have a a proper noodle boiler, so it's it's my biggest challenge right now. But other than that, I don't really have like any other problems. You guys you got any other problems? Like a catastrophic thing happened to you? Like yeah. just oh no, what am I gonna do? Never yeah. anything like that. It's but... like a pot pot of soup spill on the ground or something. Oh, like I that. had that. I had that happen. <laughs> I had a what is it? Maybe 20 liters of tonkotsu, or no, some my yeah. I was carrying it and then it was hot, so I was wearing this glove, and it, the glove like ripped or something. That I don't know. It was a, it just. It's a mess, and then the whole thing just spilled on the ground. Oh my god! I had to. It was right at opening. I had to like mop it, but we had like maybe a few tickets, so I had to just work on it. I was like, you know what? Let's mop it later. Let's just get these out. And it was just I had to close for like thirty minutes just to clean that up. And one time, I talked to Mike about this on Instagram, and, and Vin actually too, and asked um, people for a tip. But one time, my tonkotsu didn't come out right. Like. Like the split of the fat and what, like what is what do you call it? the emulsification yeah. broke like mm-hmm. completely, and it's just what was creamy the night before I made it. When I came back, it was just completely watery. So I actually went to Target and got a pen blender, and I blended it, but it was just not strong enough. Um, and it just I had it was a Saturday. I we opened at twelve thirty, and that I had maybe. 10 or 12 the whole place was packed at opening and most people like most people order tonkosu based broth and uh my mind just went blank because when you pour that tada you know it's you know it's supposed to be a creamy broth so it kind of it, it's it's like you know it could be a little bit brown but you know it was my broth usually it's kind of like white because it's really creamy but then it was just complete like pork chintan and the flavor was just terrible and i made like four first balls like do i get this out like what do i do like and I was just, I was just freaking out, but like you know, every all the kids are looking at me like, "What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do?" And I, 
I just made a call. I was like, I went to every table. I was like, guys, I'm really sorry. Um, the broth didn't come out. I, I literally like had to beg them to just forgive me. Like, can you guys please get shoyu base, like chintan base? So everyone had to cancel their order and change all their orders to shoyu. And they had to wait like an Dang. hour. So I, that day I reprinted the menu. I just, I, I served shoyu all day, just, just shoyu. Yeah. So, but it was really fun. It was fun because, in, you know, it's basically like a shoyu shop for a day. But, oh man, that day was, uh, it was hard. That sounds pretty brutal. Yeah, that's, that's brutal, dude. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I've never had like a catastrophic failure at my pop ups, but I've definitely had inconveniences and setbacks that have made things super annoying. The biggest one for me is on multiple occasions, I have either forgotten or misplaced. A tare or scoop utensil so utensil that measures out the tare mm. so what do you do if you don't have the right amount oh yeah so like i have a very specific scoop that i use for my miso tare like it there's one scoop and that's the scoop that i use and it's my it's my scoop and it's not the best scoop and it's my favorite though and it's the one that i use and i've definitely forgotten to bring it to venues and forgotten to bring because you got to bring stuff to and from Right. I've forgotten to do that. So what do you do? Uh, panic. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then figure it out. So the first time I uh, I knew that it was gonna be about 80 grams. So for the entire event I weighed out the tare. Oh wow. So I was slower, but the seasoning was good. Yeah. For the second time I had another scoop that was close to around half at the restaurant so i just did two scoops took longer but it was just, it worked you just have to be willing to adapt like right. at any moment's notice you gotta be willing to pull up and change the game a little bit like okay my my ladle i only have a 450 mil ladle instead of a 351 what am i gonna do well i guess i'm just gonna have to hope that i'm putting the right amount of soup in each time you know like use your pay attention to that now that's something you got to be more specific on like that's another thing that happened to me. I forgot the wrong ladle. It's like, man, my life is a sh is shambles. Like, <laughs> I think every every pop up I've ever done, I've forgotten at least one tiny thing. Like whether I forgot chopsticks or I forgot to buy yeah. spoons <laughs> or something. I've forgotten something. You just have to you just have to keep going with it, and hopefully, it teaches you to not make that mistake again. Right. Right. Now I don't forget the scoop. <laughs> <laughs> what if it breaks is that the only one you have oh then we're in deep <laughs> yeah i don't have another one it's not expensive but it's like a very specific one there's not uh -huh. like a quick substitute yeah and it's not like one you could just find in most kitchens it's mm -hmm. like it's a yellow volrath scoop it's a very specific quantity mm -hmm. so you gotta buy that one at a supply store or at amazon or something yeah that's crazy Eric, what, what made your broth uh, break like that, the emulsion? Because I had the same thing happen to me because too. Because I, I can't chill it. Like, you know, Japanese restaurants, I mean, just restaurants in general, they have sinks big enough so you can put big pot and you have the mm -hmm. running water or, you know, at least that's what we did at Shack, you know, and ice water. There's a lot of different ways to chill it. And for me, when I first started, I was just putting it in the freezer and it'll, it'll you know, chill overnight. But it just depends on like how long you boil the bones for, because I mean, if I'm, I may be wrong, but if you boil it harder and, you know, for longer, it depends on the flame too. 
and it it'll emulsify better you know a roll higher rolling boil will emulsify it better too and it yeah it's just chilling chilling is really crucial so these days i'm making smaller batches where i can fit the pot into ice mm. water i have to switch out the water a couple of times but then it you know it stays mm. yeah that's some good tips ryan what do you mean you had issues with emulsification well I mean, like i tried to do like a ch- uh, tori python and like i've chilled it i chilled it in the with ice and stuff and i put in the fridge uh the fridge and i took it out and it's like oh it looks pretty good and then as soon as i scooped it it was like chintan at the bottom like you, you uh, saw it you know so well that's normal i think yeah. for some python but I might especially tori- at home because yeah. you're you just do not have the strength of mm-hmm. an industrial stove right. to churn right. everything so uh for most people you need some way to emulsify and the emulsification is also uh can be broken if you remove too much water right so the fat needs some water to be suspended in and it needs the gelatin to hold it so often i find that the more i boil down uh tonkotsu the more likely it is to break on me i think that's what happened to me actually overboiled that bad boy yeah rookie mistakes yeah all righty kind of coming to the end there's a bunch of other questions but i don't know if we uh they're not really like pop-up related there's one question for you vin um where did it go are you are you planning to do a tsukimen at a pop-up this was from uh, let me see who it was from I royal, got that question royal ramen royal ramen i think i know who he is i think he, <laughs> he he's come to, to my pop-up a few times yeah he's waiting for that tsukimen so I assume he's saying about the thick skimming, uh-huh. not Taishoken style. Uh-huh. Um, I, I don't think so. Not because I don't want to. It's just so hard mm-hmm. to make skimming without proper equipment. It's, it's the only reason that I don't do skimming in my pop-up. And I'm, I'm sure Mike knows and Eric knows like how hard it is to make mm for like 50 servings of skimming if you don't have a, like a proper equipment. Yeah. Eric, you do yeah. you do skimming it? Yeah, I do Taishoken, which is, you know, I just use Shintan. Um, so that's not that bad, but I, I do right now spicy Tantan skimming, which is just Donkosu broth. But when I was doing Gyokai, yeah, I did, I did Gyokai for a while, but then I stopped doing it because it was really expensive. And second of all, I was throwing, throwing away a lot because not, a lot of people are getting it because they just, you know, like you said, when they see fish broth, it's kind of like, Ugh. yeah. I mean, I did one skimming, and it was a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it was like so dirty, and I was yeah. splattering soup everywhere, and it's the thickest soup, and it's like it congeals, and it's just, it's so gnarly, man. I, <laughs> Do you remember remember how many servings did you get? Way more than I was supposed to make. That's for sure. That's the other thing. I actually think the yield on, so my method is this Tomita style method one that is a little different from the others in that rather than straining anything, uh, you pull out all the fish and then you just blend everything into a paste. Including the bone. Okay. Bones and all. So it's this gritty sludgy mass and then that's the soup. So the straining part for me was straining out the fish before we got rid of, before we blended everything together. Uh, that sucked. How did you but, do that? Because like, dude, I don't even remember. 
like it was like a fever dream. <laughs> Maybe like use, forgotten. use a long tongue and then try to like pick the fish out. Yeah, it's so involved. It's just it's just as involved as if you blended and then strained. It's just involved <laughs> in a different way. So yeah. I'm in the same boat as you, Ben. Like I really like it. I think it's delicious. Yeah. And it's so much effort. And right. just I can't like I don't know. It's just not worth the effort, in my opinion. Right. At this stage, now yeah. they make equipment that will help you do the straining. Oh, Yamato, the noodle manufacturing company, makes a straining device for these thick broths, and it's oh. like I guess it's like centrifugal or something. I don't know how it works, but it's supposed to make it way easier for you. But am I going to buy a special straining device? <laughs> like no, like I'm going to use uh, I'm going to use a chinua and I'm going to put it over a pot and I'm going to scoop one thing into the other and then periodically dump out the contents. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to sit there with my $25,000 strainer. Like that's silly. I don't have that kind of money. If I had $25,000, I wouldn't spend it on a strainer. I'd spend it on like literally anything else in the restaurant. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Can you guys, can I ask you guys a, like a selfish question for myself? Like how much soup are you guys putting in your bowls on like for a shoyu ramen or a shi ramen? Like what's your go-to like measurement for that? 300. 300? Yeah. Same for me. I do 300 for all of the ramen that I make. I do 350. It just depends on what Which is like. weird. I know it's weird. But I also have slightly bigger bowls. Mm -hmm. And although this, this is your that I made today definitely did 300 mil did not want to do 350 it was way too much food at 350 I think it just depends I think 300 is more standard frankly and I'm just kind of the weird odd guy who does 350 um, it's the difference between 10 and 12 ounces you know mm -hmm. so there is a noticeable difference between the two in terms of volume but I think for me I knew charging $20 I really wanted to make sure that like no one left being like that was not enough food what I mean, so three fifty was an easy compromise, and since I'm only making one soup most of the time, I didn't have to worry. I you just buy a few more bones, make one more of one pot. If I'm, you know, Hosaki over here making fifteen different soups, it's like maybe <laughs> you don't want to give everybody that liquid gold so easily, especially <laughs> if they're not going to drink all of it. Okay, let's let's. I think this is what time is it for you, Eric? It's probably like close to midnight already, right? It's like eleven something. Yeah. And you got work tomorrow? You're going to you gonna open up tomorrow? Uh, no, I do have to prep tomorrow. No, oh, okay. I, oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, let's just let's wrap this up. Um, I got one last question from Hella Ramen. Uh, what, do, what do you guys think about the three of you doing a pop-up together? Ooh. <laughs> Hella Ramen. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. We, Hella Ramen. We, and Hella Ramen works at a neighborhood. Ramen. Neighborhood, yeah. yeah. Maybe he's throwing some hints and getting guys over there. Why don't you make that happen, man? Like I know, I know Jesse and Lindsay. Like, let's yeah. have this happen. What's going on? I'm down for that. Or you guys can come to Maryland. You know, we can do a little Hosaki tour. Yeah, you guys should do a tour. Like the three of you go like go to neighborhood ramen, then go to Hosaki, and then go like hit up all the different cities: Chicago, Austin, like a traveling yeah. band. I mean, I'm always down to work with other people. You know, yeah. I feel like I learn a lot by working with other people. So I'm not against it at all. Just yeah. Planning. Cool. Well, I guess that's about it. There's a bunch of other questions, but they're not really like uh, pop-up related. And I know it's getting late for Eric and I actually have to go somewhere soon too. So yeah. we can cut it there and then um, we'll probably 
if you guys want to do something like this again in the future, we'll definitely do it again. Cause I okay. think it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, man, it was fun. Could yeah, you guys tell everybody where, where they can find you guys on Instagram or your websites or where you're doing pop-ups or whatever? Yeah, you can find me on uh, Instagram at Menya Hosaki. I'm sure Ryan will put up, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how to spell that. You know. Then? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Raman512. Yeah. And Mike is... Everybody knows Mike. Add ramen knows over. Ramen Lord. <laughs> Lord. Although I'm ramen over on Instagram, which you I'm not right. thrilled about, but what am I going to do here? Why did you Why did you choose ramen over on Instagram and not ramen Lord? Ramen Lord was not available. Are you serious? Oh, wow. Someone sniped it. Some wow. snipe one. What am I going to do? The real ramen Lord at the real ramen Lord. <laughs> yeah. All right, I guys. All right, guys. Thank you guys so much. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks, man. Thanks so much to Mike, Eric, and Vin for coming on the show. It's kind of like one of my long-term goals is to get good enough to do a pop-up of my own one day. So this was super useful to me. And I hope if you were listening and you're interested in doing a pop-up of your own, I hope this is useful to you too. So please give all three of these guys a follow on Instagram. You can find Mike at actually he changed his username since we recorded this episode he's no longer ramen over he is now ramen underscore underscore lord mike has an akahoshi ramen pop-up coming up soon but i believe tickets have already been sold out but follow him on instagram for details if there's any seats available that can be snagged on the day of eric can be found at menya hosaki his semi-permanent pop-up can be found at junction deli and i'll link up his address for the shop in the show notes so please go check him out if you're in the dc area great ramen vin can be found on instagram at ramen 512 he has a pop-up coming up soon so please follow him on instagram for more details on that if you're in the austin area you don't want to miss it and if you're in the new york area you can go eat at ramen shack and eat ramen made by keizo shimamoto the guy who actually trained eric and vin if you've been listening to previous episodes of the podcast you probably heard his name come up a lot because he's widely considered the best ramen chef in the u.s by people who actually make ramen so i'll link up his new location for his new spot in the show notes as well as always you can follow me on instagram at way of ramen if you'd like to ask questions of future guests and if you'd like to watch me try to figure out how to make ramen on my own in hawaii you can search the way of ramen on youtube i put out a video almost every week sometimes i get a little busy but not always Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode or any of the other episodes, please consider subscribing to the feed on wherever you're listening to the podcast and also leaving a review. That helps us show out a lot, actually. All right, I'll see you guys all in the next episode. Peace.